The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. And as I like to remind you, I'm also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks. And my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is in partnership with Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? With regard to Chen's newsletter, he is not taking new subscribers now, but will be doing so at the beginning of the next quarter. If you are interested uh, in signing up for Chen's letter, you need to go to miningstocks.com miningstocks.com where you uh, will put your name on a waiting list and then um, the first people that come uh, will fill the vacant spots uh, starting the next quarter. Uh, you do not need to wait to subscribe to my newsletter, J. Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. Uh, you can do that also by going to miningstocks.com. Do want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making it the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. Uh, and I also want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Uh, for the first hour of today's show, our sponsors are Timmins Gold Corp., Bravada Gold Corp., Golden Arrow Resources, and Miranda Gold. Well, there have been some very, very strange things taking place, uh, without a doubt, in the gold markets. So the sudden decrease in the price of gold, as quoted by the mainstream media, that is taken from the paper markets, from the future markets, uh, has been, I believe, uh, a manipulated market for some time. The gold antitrust action people have provided a significant amount of evidence to that, uh, to support that thesis, I believe. Uh, and uh, the big, powerful bullion banks that act really as uh, proxies or as uh, the arm of the government, in essence, uh, banks like HSBC, J.P. Morgan Chase, the Bank of Nova Scotia, Barclays Bank, Deutsche Bank, UBS, uh, those are some of the big players in the bullion markets uh, that carry out uh, perhaps uh, the directive of the, uh, of the um, oh, what do they call them, the plunge protection team at times. Uh, certainly there is a need ever since 1971, ever since Nixon took us off the international gold standard, to try to camouflage the weakness of the dollar, to try to con people into believing 
that money created out of nothing is every bit as good as money that is backed by gold. So the game has been going on for quite some time. I'm quite convinced that that is true. But now uh, it seems as though that game may be nearing an end. The, uh, the huge decline in the gold price, of course, uh, succeeded in scaring a lot of average people out of the market and a lot of very prosperous people, no doubt, uh, hedge funds out of the market uh, in getting people to uh, exchange gold for, uh, for paper money, for dollars. It's not even paper money. It's digital money without anything behind it except debt, except liability. That is what uh, is the big difference between a commodity-based money, a gold or silver-based money, for example, as opposed to uh, the dollars that we have now. Those dollars are worthwhile only to the extent that people are able to pay their debts, that they're able to pay their uh, li- – it is liability money. And so what we've had in recent years is an exponential growth in debt relative to the income that's created by the economy to service that debt. And that is why we are in such big trouble uh, in the Western world, and the United States, of course, is the leader of the Western world. Uh, it is um, perhaps will have an ability to stick around longer than some of the others, uh, but clearly around the periphery of the of Europe, for example, we're seeing uh, clear signs that uh, of decay. Uh, we're seeing clear signs uh, that the parasites are eating uh, the fiber, the the very existence out of the uh, what was once free market a relatively free market capitalist uh, world. But here are some of the things that I think you should really be aware of and I think give uh, should give reason for concern with respect to the current financial system and the gold markets. And I think reasons to be very, very bullish on gold longer term. Uh, here, here are some of the, some of the facts that have come to play recently, I think, that are probably causing the policymakers feel the need to try to trash the, the gold markets through the paper markets, through the instead of the physical markets, through the um, the futures markets, the contract markets. Uh, first, first of all, is this whole issue of Germany when they require when they ask for requested delivery of large amounts of their gold from London and the United States, uh, instead of taking a couple of months or so or a few weeks. Uh, they're talking about many, many years. I don't recall how many years, but it was a huge number of years. And that clearly suggested that the gold isn't available or they can't, uh, the United States and England can't get their hands on gold uh, soon enough to, uh, to uh, uh, return gold in any sort of reasonable time to Germany. Another was recent inability of ABN Amaral to deliver gold to one of their large customers. And uh, what we expect will become commonplace, perhaps. They uh, force the, cu- the customer to uh, receive uh, payment in currency rather than in gold. Now, that has also happened uh, more recently, as reported by Andrew McGuire. Uh, he's a, a very well-known large uh, gold trader who said that one of his largest clients uh, was told that he could not, uh, by, by the LBMA, uh, that they could not provide him with the gold that, uh, that he uh, wanted to take delivery of, and that amounted to something over $200,000. So the LBMA said uh, because of the size of it, he would have to take uh, currency instead of the gold, uh, the gold bullion itself. And Jim, James St. Clair noted just today that a friend of his who had an allocated account uh, was also denied delivery of his gold. The explanation that was given was that the price was of gold was too high. 
Now, meantime, uh, China and Russia are reportedly taking huge amounts of gold, physical gold, perhaps uh, from the likes of, of countries like uh, Cyprus uh, and others, although Cyprus is a small player. It, it is curious, in my view, uh, why the Russians had not complained more about what took place in Cyprus. I have to think that perhaps, uh, and from what I'm understanding, that uh, that may have been settled, the gold may have been sent to, to Russia from Cyprus uh, to, to quiet them down a bit. Uh, there is no doubt about it, and actually Ellen Brown told us uh, that her research is showing that all of the Western world is preparing now to do to all of us what they did to Cyprus. And, of course, they want to deny that because they don't want you to get frightened. They don't want you to run into gold bullion or silver or find other ways to protect your wealth. And so the uh, the Western world is... Uh, the policymakers are denying it, even after a slip of the tongue uh, from the Dutch and uh, and other leaders uh, in uh, in Europe s- uh, said that in fact Cyprus was a uh, was a test case, was the first uh, the first incident uh, of many more to come, no doubt, because I think the policymakers are well aware uh, that the financial system is teetering on the brink of a complete collapse. So realizing that that's the case, certainly the Chinese and the Russians have made no doubt about their desire to uh, to hold gold, to trade their dollars for gold, and they have been doing it. So uh, when gold recently took a huge hit, according to Andrew McGuire, some 500 tons of gold were sold in a very short period of time. That is paper gold, not actual gold. Uh, paper gold, so the contracts were conjured up by the bullion banks, trashing the gold price, uh, you know, there was uh, Goldman Sachs that also issued a short gold uh, recommendation, and uh, lo and behold, uh, the, lo- the gold price uh, really plummeted, and according to Andrew McGuire, on some 500 tons in a very short period of time, paper gold. Meantime, huge amounts of gold was actually being delivered, uh, according to McGuire, in March alone, 283 tons uh, were delivered in Shanghai, 117 tons uh uh, were also delivered in April, uh, and and even more beyond that. So he says, uh, basically looking at something like 400 tons of gold into China uh, in a very short period of time, even as 500 tons of paper gold is being said. McGuire said, and I quote, uh, consider the basis of all the mainstream media shills coming out and saying we're in a bearish market because GLD and ETF has dumped around 200 tons since the beginning of the year. But what we are talking about here is China having purchased and taken delivery of over 400 tons in less than a month and a half, and since the beginning of the year, is substantially higher. It's probably in the 800-ton range for Shanghai Exchange. So it just amazes me how people concentrate on what uh, on what's happening in one paper market. What we are seeing today is actually very positive uh, for gold. I think we are reaching a point of capitulation. I cannot see how the central bank buying cannot overwhelm all of these short sales despite the leverage, end of quote from uh, Andrew McGuire back on April 12th. Well, I do believe that this is extremely bullish. I do believe that we are moving towards a, an extremely bullish case for both gold and silver and the shares. It has been an extremely difficult market. I have to think that we are getting close to a shakeout, uh, to a capitulation, as Bob Hoy, in fact, recently suggested. Uh, but we, we're going to, uh, we're going to be talking to David Gerwitz, um, of Charles Nanner, 
uh, and associates, and this is the former brilliant uh, Goldman Sachs trader. To get his take, uh, he has been extremely good at picking uh, times to sell and buy in gold and a host of other commodities and markets. We're going to be talking to David Gerwitz about that uh, in the near in the near future. Just hold on one second. Um, we are also going to be uh, talking today uh, at the end of the show, finally, to Chen Lin. And Chen, uh, Chen Lin has been away for some time. Uh, we haven't talked to him for quite a while, so we're going to really look forward to Chen Lin's views on the market and what he, uh, what he's uh, expecting uh, to take place uh, in the near future. Now, this show is titled Turning Hard Times into Good Times. And I think more often than not, we focus on the hard times and we don't seem to see any sort of light at the end of the tunnel or, or future hopes. So today, uh, I think that we are going to try to do it a little differently. We're going to be talking, uh, we're going to be looking for some hope and for some optimism. Uh, in fact, um, at, at about um, 3.30 today, we're going to be talking, uh, we're going to be talking to Alexis Ringwald. And she is a delightful young lady who is, um, heading up a new startup company in Silicon Valley called LearnUp. And I learned of Alexis through our son, Scott, who is uh, one of three, soon to be four, members of this startup company. But Alexis is an extraordinary uh, young lady. She was named as one of uh, the top 30 executives under 30 by Forbes. And after graduating from Yale, she uh, she earned a Fulbright scholarship, done some remarkable things. Uh, we're going to be, she is very excited about the prospects of helping people find jobs in an economy that certainly needs jobs and an economy that certainly needs to uh, to find a way to put people who want to work back to work. And at 4 o'clock, Frank Holmes is going to be with us as well. Frank holds up, uh, heads up the uh, U.S. Global Group of Mutual Funds, and he'll be joining me to talk about the economy and, and where you might have some opportunities to make some money in this market. I think certainly Frank is going to be bullish on gold as well. So that's about it. We do have to go to a commercial break now. Uh, and when we come back, we will have uh, David Gerwitz with us. So don't go away. We'll be right back. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Windfall profits happen frequently in gold exploration stocks, but the risk of losses are also common. Miranda Gold enhances prospects of shareholder gains by combining the intellectual capital of geologists, mine finders Ken Cunningham and Joe Herbert with other people's hard dollars in search for elephant-sized gold deposits in politically safe places like Nevada and Columbia. That keeps shareholder dilution to a minimum, so when discoveries are made, major gains are possible. For more, go to MirandaGold.com. Nevada Gold Corporation controls 18 exploration and development properties covering nearly 50 square miles in Nevada's well-known gold trends. Its flagship Wind Mountain Gold Silver Project is 100% owned and had an independent updated resource estimate and positive preliminary economic assessment in early 2012. This past September, Bravada signed an agreement with Argonaut Gold to further explore and develop Wind Mountain. For further information, please visit bravadagold.com. 
Attention mining investors, Brazil Resources Incorporated trading as BRIZF on the OTC and BRI on the TSXV is exploring and developing five gold projects in Brazil, surrounded by expanding gold mines and deposits. It's acquiring a nearly 700,000 ounce gold resource. BRI has top geologists earlier involved in discovering 10 million ounces of gold in Brazil, led by recognized mining executive Admir Adnani, chairman. Check out Brazil Resources com or call 1-855-630-1001. That's 1-855-630-1001. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me, once again, David Gerwitz of Charles Nanner Research Center. Uh, we uh, read off David's uh, bio recently. It is available uh, on our website at the, radio, at the Voice America Business Channel website, and uh, I think also Charles Nanner's uh, bio is there. We haven't had Charles on this show yet. We expect to have him on sometime in the near future. I was very pleased and very blessed to have met both David and Charles recently in New York City, uh, and I'm really pleased uh, to have David back with me once again. Welcome, David. Thank you so much, Jay. It really was a pleasure for Charles and I to meet you. Well, it, it was it was really entertaining, very interesting, and I I told my wife after that meeting, I said if she thinks I'm a Type A personality, uh, you guys make me look like a Type Z personality, because the energy level of David Gerwitz and Charles Nanner is is second to none, and how they can remain civilized and polite and and relatively kind while they are so intensely looking at the markets is beyond me. I couldn't do it. Yeah. So uh, in, in any event, I'd I'd like you, uh, David, to talk a little bit about Charles Nanner and his Great. brilliant track record. He spent a long time. How many years was he a trader at at, uh, at Goldman Sachs? He wasn't a trader. He was one of the head guys in the technical group, advising uh-huh. prop trading, bonds, and 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 uh, proprietary prop trading, which is proprietary trading, bonds, mm-hmm. and the internal hedge funds. Mm-hmm. So and, he. Yeah, and he I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead. He was there. How long? He was there about uh, fifteen years. He was in London, and so he was one of their secret weapons. Mm-hmm. So when people see him on the news, you're really getting a guy that was advising top place in the world. And um, I've been really honored to work with him, and it's been over a decade he and I together. We have clients all over the world. As you see, we're a little busy because we have you know, a lot of clients and all over the world, all different types, and we don't manage money. So we're not focused on give me money, give me money. We're focused on here's what we see, here's what we see. 
Exactly. And, and it's nice that we've kept people out of gold for since it was 1900. Hopefully, we've kept them out. And we kept well, yeah, out. it's 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 really true. You know, David, a lot of times your your best calls are calls to stay away from something, right? Because because I think there's no question about it that timing is everything in markets. I mean, you right. can be right on a fundamental basis. And, you know, I think that most of the time I'm right on a fundamental basis, but I can be six months or a year or six years ahead of time sometimes. Right. And then it's dead money. And this is the thing I think that makes, uh, that makes Charles Nanner so, so, really so successful is his, his timing expertise. Right. Uh, talk to us a little bit about that, uh, if you would, David. Sure. What, what, gold, for example, he got his clients out at around $1,900, right? And, right. and when was that in, about six to eight months, whenever the top was. I remember yeah. nobody wanted to get out because it had been seven years going up, right? Mm-hmm. Now mm-hmm. nobody wants to get in. <laughs> does he, do, you, do you know if he thinks, uh, does he think we'll see a down year this year possibly? No, no. Let me tell you what. I, I, we're go- we sent out a chart. Every one of your listeners, by the way, is welcome to write to the site, charlesnenner.com. Say you heard me on the show, and we will send them the research a little bit just to sample it to see, including they should write for the gold chart we sent this Sunday, showing that we are bottoming and up for several years. But what type of bottom, as I told you before, it's either a U, a V, or a W. Now, the, mm-hmm. we, own, we know those letters. A U could be coming down, kind of bottom fishing in effect and staying a little bit and then going up. A V is like a basketball dribble down and up. I'm a Bronx kid. You're a Queens kid. We could talk like that. And then a W is a double bounce, right? He's not sure which of those it's going to be. But that's going to be how it goes. He also has a target, and he gave a 1,500 target even lower. He sees a potential in the mid-13s. Once he gets there, people who are not stunned or blown away from having lost so much, they should really plan to go long because he has target slower now, but target up to 2,200 gold. That mm-hmm. doesn't change. It's just the speed of the up move will be changed according to our algorithm by the degree to which the, the down move came so fast, it changes all the combined math. Sure. And silver yeah. similarly. Silver and gold are similar. Okay, so what I've done, and because I have started paying a lot of attention to Charles Nanner, and I do get his missives uh, three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. We get some charts on Sunday evening, I believe they're right. sent to us, right. uh, is that I have, I have, you know, have taken some losses, frankly, in some of the gold shares that I have and build up cash looking for Good. a time to get back into Good. gold and silver. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and this, of course, I want to stay focused on gold and silver just for another minute or two, no David, problem. but I know that, uh, that Charles looks at a lot of different markets. We want to get to some of those as well. Right. But, you know, I was looking at his chart on gold, not this, not yesterday, but the previous Sunday, and he had, um, uh, as I looked at it, there was, you know, he, he draws a perforated vertical line that shows the time when the cycle is expected to end or, or begin, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That line, yeah. basically, in, in, I'll summarize in 30 seconds. People should go to the site and watch my presentation at Bloomberg several years ago explaining it, we look at repeating patterns in any data series. So therefore, Facebook, we don't have enough data. But go back IBM, go back gold, go back uh, copper, which he just shorted a while ago, right, which is going down. Go back not gas, go back bonds, which were long through the summer, and then bonds will be down for 20 years. All data series, if you find 
equidistant top to tops, like an EKG, mm-hmm. and let's see, find a, a top every two months, every five months, every ten months. In effect, you have a lot of sine curves. When all those tops are topping at the same time, his assumption is it's a top, and likewise mm-hmm. with a bottom. So that summarizes the whole thing in about ten seconds. Yeah, there is an excellent video. I, I would just say to my listeners that there is an excellent uh, illustration that you did uh, for the people at Bloomberg a number of years ago, you say seven years ago, and that, uh, tell our listeners again that the site is... CharlesNenner.com is the site to go to where they can find everything and see all the hundred media appearances in my Bloomberg um, presentation, and then they could write in saying, please, I heard David on your show, Jay, please, um, can I start looking at the research and please send me some of the charts on gold? We do everything. Let me just say that we do stocks, we do bonds, we do commodities, we do currencies. Let me give you the quick, I only have a few minutes, let me give you the quick 30-second sh- shot on each one. Okay, so stocks, yeah, please. Let's, yeah, let's, uh, let's, let's start. And stocks, he's been basically long for four years since the bottom of 2009 after taking everyone out of stocks in the summer of 2008 before the craziness at the end of 2008, if everybody remembers. Mm-hmm. It's been so long, I forget. Stocks Painful. are going to turn down um, pretty much the end of April. Uh, we're going to have a correction. It's going to begin its descent for the next seven years way beyond what people think. He sees a Dow at 5,000, 2019, 2020, followed by a major bull move for the following decade. Now, a lot of people thinking, I'm going to have to survive till then. The answer is correct. You have to survive mm-hmm. yeah. till then. That's the big picture in stocks. Having said that, grains are bottoming in May, so grain stocks will be also going up. Wheat, corn, soybeans, and the grain stocks, not all of them. Gold is bottoming after having ripped everybody's hair out of recently, as we all know. And I talked about it already. Gold stocks also bottoming, but not with the same intensity as gold. Why? We don't know. We just follow the math. Mm-hmm. Um, bonds are up, bond prices, therefore bond yields are down until summer. End of the summer, you want to short bonds, just like the last 30 years, you wanted to be long bonds. Obviously, rates went from 18% down to nothing, so bonds prices have gone up since rates have come down. They have a reverse relationship. want to be long bonds through the summer and then short bonds probably via TBT for many years. Okay, most people are not used to shorting bonds. They didn't have to for 30 years. Um, the dollar, which is on an up move until the summer, next year it really crashes. There's one way to play it that is easy called the DXY. It's a, I say easy, nothing's easy, but it's easier. It's an ETF. And, you know, that's not going to be so pretty when you combine it with everything else. And so that's part of the reason if people need quote-unquote fundamentals, you know, Jay, we think cycles are fundamental, but what mm-hmm. they call fundamental is, you know, the dollar will crash, China will start dumping its bonds, rates will go up, you know, gold will be going up, silver will be going up, crude is a plan to go up, target 105, then even higher. Nat gas, he sees going back to its lows, and he called Nat gas from six bucks to a buck seventy two years ago when everyone mm. thought he was crazy. So, well, he's long now on natural gas, yeah, right? Yeah, because short term, it's up. Yeah. He's, right. done, he's made a good call on that gas as well. Yes. Well, that, well, when he called it from 6 bucks to a buck seventy, the main thing I wanted to stress was that at the time, banks in Canada had lent money 
to Canadian gas producers when, when it was five bucks, and then it went to mm-hmm. four and three fifty, and then the banks, in effect, their loans were underwater, just like a mortgage underwater. Yeah. The house is mm-hmm. worth five hundred, and the mortgage seven is underwater, and they don't have such an easy time justifying keeping it on their books. So the banks forced the natural gas companies to sell and pay them back their loans, further driving the price down. Question is, does the news say natural gas prices went down because? companies were forced to sell or or does it say Charles Nettis said cycles were topping so of course something had to happen to make it go down <laughs> that's in essence the summary of our entire system we think the cycles determine how people act war cycles are bottoming now which cycles war war cycles okay yeah. so you look at things other than oh, the financial yeah. markets and 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 and, uh, and uh, sunspot cycles are topping Interesting. And so Fast. that's kind of how we put it all together. People think we're crazy. I take it as a compliment. You know? <laughs> um, and your listeners should write in and let them start looking. Well, I definitely agree with that, that our listeners should write in. I think that, uh, that Charles has done something on uh, Newmont as well. Yeah, Newmont. Well, well first let me answer Apple because you had asked me before yeah, about Apple. Apple cause yeah, talk about Apple. He, he, when it got above seven, he said buy puts. And then he gave a target of five and said it would only be a bounce. Mm-hmm. So, so far, so good, right? Now we're down four-ish. Could go even lower. If it's in the threes, and I'm, again, I'm, he's going to be looking more at this soon, but this mm-hmm. is kind of, he stayed away from it. We're planning to go long Apple at some point, and he does see it over time going back to its highs, which, of course, people now can't imagine. But when it was 700, every, I think 80% of fundamental analysts were long. They couldn't imagine it going down. Now they can't imagine it going up as much. So that's kind of what we're saying, that the past repetition, when it's very hard to see, even gold, it was up so much. Look, gold was lousy before it started its move up eight years ago. Jared, you know better than I do. It was nothing. So people forget that. And all of a sudden, gold had to go up and then down. They forget it'll ever go up again. But that's what our system takes into account, that the past will repeat. And what I like about, one of the things I really like about uh, the research is that it doesn't take long. I mean, you're basically giving signals, not explaining why, but just, right. you know, go long this, go short this, hang on, don't do anything, wait. Right. And it's, a, it's and literally like, about a two-liner for each item, and it's, right. just, it's just beautiful because I don't have to waste half my day no. reading what somebody, you know, some verbiage from somebody that isn't going to really help me figure out what I need to do, so... Right, we that's, we assume everyone has ADD. <laughs> so that's why it's written that way. Well, that's probably a good trend to be on too. Perhaps uh, Charles has some ADD cycles. I don't know. Oh, but, that's uh, a good question. I, I think a question. <laughs> we have to look into it. You know, I, I mean, I know. If, I don't know if you have any more time, but when he originally discovered this, he was in medical school, and I spoke to a few doctors today. That's so why I was telling them the story. He's a doctor, obviously, and the yes. first thing he heard was the doctor. His professor saying they put more doctors on call during a full moon, expecting more women to give birth. So okay, it makes mm-hmm. sense that cause and effect. Full moon, more births. Okay. Mm-hmm. Then a week later, he said people get admitted to insane asylums all around the world at the same time. And Charles said, I stood up, 150 people in the class. I go, I assume it's during a full moon, and they go, No, Mister Nanner, he wasn't doctor. We don't know why it happens not during a full moon, and that's what got him looking into patterns. So it is, in fact, psychological states, we think, determine everything. It's very hard for people to accept that. 
Well, it, it is. Uh, we, we would like to think that we can figure things out ourselves, right. and it's, uh, that it's that we have control of things. When That's in fact, right. many, many times we don't. Uh, in fact, most of the time we probably don't. Right. Uh, Newmont, we do have a couple of minutes left yeah. yet, David. So if you can yeah. if you can stick with me, I'd appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, I think Newmont. I saw a chart from David. Uh, do you know? Monday. Do you recall what he's calling on Newmont? Newmont cycles close to a low, close above thirty six, needed for a buy signal. Okay, and that's that's the kind of uh, that's the kind of information you get. Uh, very succinct, very much to the point. And you know, I mean, recently I made uh, some money on a short uh, crude trade. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that it was uh, if it goes below forty three, it's a sell. And I mm-hmm. went out and bought a an ETF of some kind, and and uh, you know, it was a triple down or a double down ETF, and made nice money in a day or two. Uh, so uh, you know, I'm. I, it's one trade, and I've uh, done another one. I think TLT or one of those uh, as well that seems to be working pretty well. So, yeah. is the best way a lot of times to play these, uh, David? Would be through an ETF, I suppose. Yeah. Oh, ETFs from almost we anything have, these days. We have clients with eighty billion, eight eight billion, eight hundred million, eight million, eight hundred thousand, two hundred. Yeah, we have everything. Yeah. So everybody plays differently. Everyone has different time abilities. Sure. And so us saying long short, that's one thing. But we give you the buy signal or sell signal, right. whatever that means. That's another discussion. Right. And we give you cycle tops and cycle bottoms. And everyone has to do whatever they feel comfortable with. Well, I really, uh, I, I'm really feeling comfortable with it so far. I've, I've started, just really started looking at it seriously within the last three weeks or so. But it is, uh, I think, a very, very interesting, and I think. Very rewarding service, and I think when you have Charles Nanner working for you, the odds are stacked in your favor. And I right. should say David Gerwitz as well, David, well, because no, you know the, he's the man. I'm just getting his word out. Well, you're you're also very accomplished in many ways. We'll talk about that sometime in the near future, but we do have to run now right. uh, to our next commercial break. Break. Thank you very much for being with us, folks. Don't go away. We're going to be right back with Alexis Ringwald. You're not going to want to miss this lady who has been top, who has been chosen by Forbes as one of their top 30 uh, executives under the age of 30. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Alexis Ringwald. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Golden Arrow Resources on the TSX Exchange has recently made a new silver discovery and is presently drilling a 6,500-meter program on that discovery. A maiden resource calculation is expected to be released in April of this year. The project is located in Jujuy Province in northern Argentina, just 30 kilometers from the Perquitas Mine operated by Silver Standard. Golden Arrow has an experienced team with decades of experience in Argentina. Golden Arrow offers shareholders exceptional leverage with an exciting new silver discovery. Paramount Gold is a U.S.-based exploration company with multi-million ounce advanced stage gold and silver projects in the mining-friendly jurisdictions of Nevada and northern Mexico. Backed by a strategic investor and a strong balance sheet, an experienced management team has completed preliminary economic assessments on both projects, showing robust economics and immense potential for increasing ounces and mine life. For more information, go to ParamountGold.com or follow on Twitter, PZG News. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network.
You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me for the first time Alexis Ringwald. Alexis is a leading young entrepreneur. She is a co-founder and CEO of LearnUp. That's a job training startup company, uh, which she started after spending six months in America's unemployment lines researching the education and jobs crisis. Previously, she was a founder of Valis Energy. Uh, that's an energy efficiency software startup company acquired by Sirius Energy in 2010. Alexis has a very impressive background. She was named uh, as a young global leader of the World Economic Forum for 2013. She was named to the Forbes 30 Under 30. Uh, that is the uh, 30 top executives under the age of 30. Wow, that was a long time ago when I can relate to that. That was in 2012-2013. Uh, she was named to the Huffington Post Female Founders to Follow uh, to Fast Company's Most Influential Women in Technology and once again by Forbes magazine to the most notable alumni from Yale. So Alexis was a Fulbright Scholar to India and published a book, Momentum for Renewable Energy in India, and she completed her bachelor's and master's in engineering management from Yale. She speaks French, German, Spanish, and basic Hindi, uh, and she also dances uh, ballet and tango. She uh, has spoken at TEDx and uh, has been invited as a guest to the White House. Alexis, welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Really good to have you here. You know, I think we probably, I probably would not be aware of, of your achievements had it not been for the fact that our son, Scott Taylor, is working with your uh, startup company. And we do want to talk to you a lot about your, your startup company, um, LearnUp. Uh, but before we get to that, uh, I want to ask you a little bit um, about some of your other experiences uh, with um, with your energy company, Valis Energy. Tell us about that. Yeah, great. So my passion and commitment to work on energy issues and address the climate crisis started during undergrad when I was at Yale, and I randomly signed up to do a power plant, uh, an internship at a power plant for one week. Uh, it was at American Electric Power in Ohio, and I uh, went there, and that's where I saw the impact that we have by burning coal, extracting it from the earth, um, how it impacts city, city, cities and, and people around um, the power plant. And that's when I became absolutely possessed with addressing energy resources and figuring out a solution to climate change. Um, so that's where, that's where my immediate passion came from. And after that, I went to India on a Fulbright. I lived there for three years. And while there, I met a Silicon Valley entrepreneur who uh, had been several startups and said, hey, let's team up. Well, we can build a company that can tackle uh, the energy crisis. So um, the idea was Valence Energy. We started in 2008. We were a very young team, pretty much everyone under the age of like 24. And uh, what we were doing was energy management software. We just saw that there was so much consumption of energy in commercial buildings and uh, one of the main reasons for that is that uh, building owners don't have any real-time data about where in those buildings they're consuming energy. The lights are left on, the air conditioning, the IT equipment. Um, you just get one monthly electric utility bill, but there's no granular data on where the actual problems are. 
where the consumption is happening. Mm-hmm. So Valence developed a software that would track real-time energy usage in commercial buildings um, and also allow you to control it automatically, so getting into the smart grid space. And so we were rolling this out with schools and universities and large um, commercial office buildings as a way to manage uh, their electricity usage and and be more efficient. And uh, that company was bought out, uh, I believe, by who? And 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 when did that occur? Yeah, we were we were a young team getting lots of traction. And um, as we were about to go raise our next round of funding, we were approached by a company called Sirius Energy. They're mm-hmm. a leader in green building materials. And they were very interested in getting more into the energy software space. So they approached us and we were acquired um, two years after founding and about in 2010. And I would imagine um, that this is something that they are, that this company that acquired you is, is really on a, using on an ongoing basis to help, uh, help people be more efficient in their consumption of energy. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's not as if it's uh, it's ongoing, and I would imagine something that is is it applicable to uh, to residences, to homes, or is it just really for larger buildings? It definitely is applicable to residences. The focus of the company when we were starting, because it's important to stay focused on one area, was mainly commercial, but uh, definitely potential for residential too. So it would allow people to turn lights or lights to be turned off when they're not being used, uh, keep uh, energy from or heat from escaping buildings, and keeping the cool air in in the summer and so forth, I suppose. Huh? All those, mm-hmm. whatever, wherever you're losing energy, um, uh, that is what would be the focus and would help people to make repairs to conserve energy. Exactly. And we focused on commercial buildings because there's a huge opportunity there, um, given how much energy large buildings are consuming and how little kind of information and uh, control that building owners have over it. Certainly would be, um, you know, I'm thinking of large department stores, um, warehouses, factories, and that sort of thing. I suppose it would be uh, very, very large. I, I want, you know, we, I want to ask you also, you wrote a book called Momentum for Renewable Energy in India. Uh, could you talk to us about that a little bit? Certainly. So I went to India to do a Fulbright on clean energy technologies and business models. And uh, my main emphasis was to travel around the country and explore where the greatest innovations and clean energy technologies were happening in India. And I chose India because they have 1.2 billion people. And I wanted to know, you know, what is India, what is Asia in general doing to pursue a sustainable energy path? Are they following the path of the West? Or are they exploring and innovating uh, in a new path, given that they're just building out their energy infrastructure now? Um, so I traveled around the country and decided to uh, highlight the most interesting things that I had seen into this book, Momentum for Renewable Energy. So I was highlighting the top seven trends that I observed back then, um, kind of showing this promise of India towards a sustainable energy pathway. Um, we, we had on this show uh, a couple of weeks back uh, Dr. Chris Martinson. Uh, he's the author of a best-selling book called The Crash Course. And Dr. Martinson was very, he was a very successful executive with a Fortune 200 company in the Boston area. But when the tech bubble collapsed around 2000, he began to ask some serious questions about the sustainability of our economic system. And he came to the point where he believed that the global economy was on an unsustainable track uh, where it was so dependent on 
on uh, on the use of energy and you know realizing that places like India and China uh, those highly populated countries have not yet begun to use the amount of energy that we use in the West on a per capita basis so he believed that sooner or later the global economy would dictate that we scale back our consumption of energy in one way or another uh, you know it's it's interesting to me that you you know you spent time in India so I, I have to ask you how do you see this playing out I mean clearly if India and China start to consume on a per capita basis the amount of energy that we do uh, and given the fact I know as, as one who delves into the resource sector it's becoming more and more difficult to find metals and and oil and gas um, notwithstanding the the breakthrough in fracking and so forth which may bring uh, other problems but do you see how, how do you see this playing out uh, Alexis do you see do you see a place for technology I mean you very much involved in technology do you see a place for technology to fix it or to partially fix it are we going to have to have a combination of a scale back uh, is the economy going to require us uh, to scale back the way we consume uh, or how do you see this playing out yeah I definitely believe the US needs to take leadership on this given that um, we uh, have five percent of the world's population but we're responsible for 25% of the greenhouse gas emissions. And if we fail to show leadership, there is no way that other countries like India and China will step up. Um, so the other advantage that America has is we do have all this technology, innovation, Silicon Valley. We have the, some of the most talented engineers working on these issues. And so I think that there is an opportunity for technology. And I think if we have direct our country's resources to making this a priority, um, we can actually make an impact. And if we show leadership, that will inspire India and China to also tackle this issue. But in the kind of our current um, kind of avoidance of uh, international treaties and, and non-participation, um, it doesn't look like other stuff will happen. That being said, India is limited in its resources as well. They don't have much oil domestically. They have mm -hmm. to import it. Um, so, you know, necess you know, scarcity is the, the mother I mentioned. So right. it's, it's possible that they will look at alternative. They have so much sun, so they are constantly thinking about how do they harness the sun. Mm -hmm. um, so that may be another driver for them. Yeah, solar energy certainly can help. Uh, they're just, uh, I, I, it seems to me, though, that in talking to Dr. Martinson, that probably it's going to require technology and conservation. It's going to require some uh, altering our lifestyles and economics will force us to do that, no doubt about it. Uh, you mentioned greenhouse gases, so before we get to learn up, which is really what I want to talk to you most about, uh, greenhouse gases we've had on this show, Naomi Ariskas, uh, Professor Ariskas from uh, Southern California, uh, uh, to talk about um, about global warming, and we've it's it's a very heated, politically heated discussion. We've had people on this show who are on both sides of this, uh, and it was a very a, a very astute geologist friend of mine who was on my show who really uh, started to uh, to call my attention to to this issue and and caused me to put away my biased views uh, and to start to believe that whether I wanted to believe it or not. Global warming is an issue. It's a problem, and it's probably being caused, at least to a great extent, by by this exponential growth in consumption of energy by human beings. So, I gather you are you are a believer that uh, global warming is a serious problem. Number one, and number two, that it is caused by this uh, excessive consumption of energy. Yeah, I believe both. I, I go by what some of the world's top scientists are saying, and I look at the data myself and make my own decision. And the thing is, even even if there is you know, it, it's not 100% certain, but given that there is strong um, 
evidence for a lot of people, a lot of our top minds believe mm -hmm. it. It's like, to, you know, taking out an insurance policy, given that the, the, the damage could be so great. Mm -hmm. um, there isn't any reason not to try and act to avert it, even if the chance is really small. Now, we've had here in New York City, where I live, uh, two years in a row now, we've had hurricane warning. Well, the first was a warning, and it turned out not to be too much of anything because it turned out to the sea. But last year, of course, we had uh, a very, very grave situation here in New York City. And, uh, you know, hurricanes was just something that didn't happen in this part of the world very often, very often at all. And two years in a row is... Uh, you know, it, it makes you start to wonder. Okay, well, I'd like to get on then to LearnUp, which is really your current project. Uh, how did you come up with the idea of LearnUp? I think you mentioned earlier that you were, you know, it was something obviously that you saw this disconnect. The people that wanted jobs couldn't get jobs. Was it just this this um, rec uh, realization that there was a need in the economy for using IT to help bring um, job hunters together with people that needed their services? Yeah, well, one, actually, one thing before we move on, I, if you don't mind, I want to bring sure. up on the, on the climate issue. Sure. The thing I've, I realized after doing Valence Energy before I moved on to LearnUp was that you can't motivate people with fear. You, wow. have to, you have to inspire them. So all of the stories around climate change and rising sea levels and floods and mm -hmm. hurricanes doesn't really captivate people. What mm. I think, especially in America, captivates them is the idea of invention and innovating and creating something new. And uh, that was one of the and kind of having, you know, a joy and hope. So one of the things I realized also while in India is that there's so many tragic stories of like droughts and floods and a lot of serious impacts of climate change. But the way to really inspire and mobilize the population is to say this is a huge business opportunity. This is a chance to reinvent mm. our energy infrastructure. Mm. This is a chance for a younger generation to completely redesign and rethink how we want to live our lives. And so with that message, that that's what actually, I did this road tour across India and in solar electric cars with a solar mm -hmm. rock band and a troop of Bollywood dancers. Um, and uh, the theme around that was we traveled across India with these electric cars, um, 2,500 miles for five <laughs> weeks, which was totally insane. But the theme was around hope. It wasn't around the fact that, you know, the, the sea levels are rising, the monsoon patterns are changing. It was that this is the chance of our generation to take action and like, redesign and reinvent the reality we want to see uh, and that message of hope is what, what captivates people well thank you for uh, for bringing that up alexis because this show is titled turning hard times into good times and uh and and one of the things i was i was thinking as we designed this show today was that uh having a youthful person on uh with some hope and some uh, instead of all the gloom and doom stuff and we hear a lot of that on this show it's uh, the nature of the show so we're going to have following you frank holmes on who is also a, a very optimistic person who uh you know who sees the world as you do very much i think and so i, I think that's very important that's a motive Motivator is is hope and not fear. And people don't don't respond well to fear. What do they do? They just curl up in into a, a fetal position. Yeah, exactly. And so that that motivated me um, to go work on LearnUp. Uh, when I when I moved back from India, I'd been gone for three years, oh six to oh nine, living in Delhi. And when I returned to America, it was post financial crisis. I was just shocked at what I saw. It was a hugely different country than what I had left. Hmm. Uh, and it could meet, you know, while India is booming and growing and they're building new cities and kids are getting educated, I came back to an America in 2009 full of foreclosures and long unemployment lines mm -hmm. and one third of our kids not graduating from high school. And the, the scene was just so shocking to me, such a contrast. Mm -hmm. but that motivated me to 
go on this listening tour to see what happened in, in America. So I went on a listening journey in the unemployment lines for six months to understand why people couldn't get jobs, what skills were they lacking, and what would be needed to um, help take them forward. And the, the, the kind of the reality, the conclusions out of that were around the skills gap and that people just don't know what skills employers need because the jobs are changing so quickly and our schools are not keeping up and the world is passing people by. And so the, the conclusion out of that was to build LearnUp, which would be a place where the employers tell you exactly what you have to learn up on before you apply for the job. So they give you the guidance because they're the only ones who know what you actually have to know if you want to mm-hmm. be a Yeah. So tell us about, um, could you give us some idea of who some of your clients are now? Yeah, so LearnUp started about a year ago. We signed up large companies like Staples and Safeway and Gap, and the model is they put up the training materials uh, that people uh, complete prior to even applying for the job. And that mm-hmm. way, job seekers come to learn up and they are thrilled because there is a learning pathway for them that gives them the exact skills they need to know to be employable as opposed to the current method where they just apply everywhere they can, get rejected and never know what's wrong with them. Mm-hmm. And uh, the employers love it because they're getting you know qualified people coming in with the skills that they're actually seeking. So it probably saves the employers some time. It's a more efficient way of hiring people that are fit for the job, ready to to hit the hit the floor running, so to speak. Exactly. And uh, so those are some pretty big, pretty big name clients. Um, uh, so in terms of finding people, how do you find? Like, how are you finding people that are looking for jobs? How are you searching the, the market? So we're, we pilot this at the unemployment offices and community colleges here in the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. After initial successes, we're rolling out across the state, mainly through those organizations. We announced a partnership with the Community College System of California last year at the Clinton Global Initiative, and they're distributing this to their students. Um, so it's, it's really we're, we're launching a movement, not just a startup. And uh, it's, it's really been powerful in terms of attracting kind of a, a particularly kind of a youth unemployed, and we're tackling youth unemployment in particular, kind of a younger generation to come and find hope because for a job and uh, being unemployed is a very hard and depressing experience, particularly mm-hmm. if you've graduated and you think the world is available for you and you find that there's nothing to, there's nothing, um, the doors are not opening as you had hoped. So, yeah, that's how we're rolling out with community college students and unemployment officers. Very good. I, it certainly, uh, it seems to me, though, that the kind of companies you mentioned are sort of entry, would provide entry-level jobs for the most part. Is that true? Yeah, we're focusing on the entry-level job market, um, which is basically the 99%. I mean, it's everybody else in America, um, kind of a lot of people who just need the basic skills to be employable. And and so it's working well. Are, are ideas about uh, you're in California mostly at this time, though, or, or are you across the country? Yeah, we're in California mostly, but the companies we're working with are national, so we're planning our national rollout this year. Oh, interesting. Well, uh, how you know, you're a startup company. How well funded are you? We're um, we raised about two million in venture capital, and mm-hmm. it was fund last year. And we're a team of three, and soon to be more, uh-huh. uh, including your son. It's been great. We're nimble, we're small, but we, we're, uh, we've got ambitious, ambitious plans to be the most efficient 
job training platform in the world. Any, um, it's probably way too premature to think along these lines, but as, as a person who's invested, always involved in investing in startup companies, not so much in IT, but in natural resources, I'm always wondering, uh, possibility of going public one day? That's the plan. We have grand ambitions to, to be the leading um, provider of job training uh, solution or job training for entry-level positions. We see potential not only across America, but when you think across India and China and Brazil as well, where they have massive numbers of kind of typically kind of lower income, less educated who need skills to be employable. Um, we see huge potential. What do you think the biggest risks are to success for your company? I feel like with the team we have, we can actually tackle anything. And it's an incredibly powerful and beautiful feeling. There, it reminds me of a quote um, from Gandhi who said that a small body of determined spirits fired by an unquenchable faith in their mission, can alter the course of human history. And I feel that we are that small body with our team, um, including Scott and Kenny and, and others to join. And so I just feel like we can tackle anything um, and we will alter the course of history. It certainly seems like you're satisfying two parties here and it's it's hard for me to think about you know what could come in the way of that. You have You have these companies, as you explained, you're helping them reduce their cost and being more efficient in finding people who desperately need jobs on the other side of the equation. So it's uh, it's hard for me to think, but I know as an investor that there's always there's always hurdles that, that come up, and you certainly would <laughs> would be aware of that too from your past experience. But uh, but in terms of going public, what would be a sort of a threshold? Would you need a certain level of sales, uh, somebody to pursue you? Might you also look for a possibility of some bigger fish coming along and taking you out? Uh, I'm not sure if I can answer to that one. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, what what would you need to see as a threshold for to become a public company? What sort of size? Um. I, again, actually, I don't, I don't know. We're so focused right now. Yeah, on, on, on your business plan. Yeah, exactly. Right, right. Well, I, it, it really is exciting. It's exciting, of course. Uh, you know, our son, Scott, uh, is sort of uh, low-keyed. I guess he's, uh, you know, a little more introverted than his father, but he's a, a smarter guy, and he's focused on, on mechanics and what makes things work. And, um, and, and so, you know, really wasn't that aware of... Uh, we heard him talk about his boss admirably, and but we, you know, and then I started to look into your to your background and what you've done and what you've accomplished so far, and it, it is a very exciting um, it is a very exciting prospect uh, for us as parents of Scott, but also I think from the bigger picture to see um, a real basic need in our economy being addressed. So I really want to thank you for coming on to talk about it. Tell, tell our listeners where they might follow uh, Learn Up and and also what you're doing. Yeah, uh, our website is w www.learnup.me, M-E, and uh, we're on Twitter, at LearnUp, and yeah, I, we're, we're on to something, and we welcome uh, people participating and coming and joining, and I really feel like with our team, with Scott and Kenny, we just have such a team of problem solvers, and that's why it's hard for me to imagine what, what problem we couldn't solve. Um, we're just so committed to tackling this, and I think that we have this vision, and it's exciting to have other people join us. Well, it's exciting to have a young person like you come on the show to give us some hope, <clears throat> and I think your your point is very well taken, that uh, hope is, is really key uh, to turning hard times into good times, um, so I really want to thank you, Alexis, once again for coming on to our show. Anything else you'd like to add before we conclude our discussion today? Yeah, and actually one more thing I thought of. My, so I think I was really heavily influenced by my mother. She's an artist, and oh. her... 
her favorite toast that she'd always say when I was a child, I'd overhear her saying this, was to reality, our greatest artwork. And that really influenced me because I realized we all are, we are artists. And particularly, I feel at LearnUp, all of us are artists and creating the reality we want to see, which is a reality where people have skills and can get jobs. Um, so I just feel a constant sense of optimism when I realize it's in our power to rewrite the reality we want to see around us. Terrific. That's really a great insight. Thank you so much, Alexis. Folks, don't go away. We're going to be right back with Frank Holmes, uh, who is involved in the uh, Clinton Global Initiative. And uh, Frank is a fund manager, and I think uh, he will probably um, have a lot of good things to say about what Alexis is doing when I tell him about that. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Frank Holmes. Sandgold is an aggressive gold company operating in Manitoba, Canada, a top-ranked gold mining region. Sandgold's most recent gold discovery, the Shoreline Basalt Mining Unit, is already in production at more than 75,000 ounces per year. And Sandgold continues to pursue nearby targets within one of Manitoba's most prospective gold mining trends, the Rice Lake Gold Belt. Discover the potential at Sandgold. Trading symbol is SGRCF on the OTCQX and SGR on the Toronto Exchange. Visit our website at www.sandgold.ca. 